Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast in which we are the worst of the worst. My name is Gerardo. I'm Eddie. And I'm Alec. Today we are going to talk about how to respond to failure. What do you do when you let Jesus down? We're going to look at a couple of the lives of some of America's, not America's, <laughs> some of the world's most famous people. George Washington Did and you do Abraham that on Lincoln. No. <laughs> I totally forget. That was an actual mistake. <laughs> Um, it's going to be Peter and Judas, the ultimate SmackDown that was always meant to be Peter versus Judas. In one corner, we have Judas weighing in at plus or minus 120 pounds, carrying 30 pieces that of silver. That pieces of silver? <laughs> yeah. Plus, plus the weight of 30 pieces of silver. 120 versus... pounds is very light. I don't know. If <laughs> they were was... small back then. I don't well, know. 20 pound, 18, 19 year old, but versus Peter who is standing in the other corner with Blonde hair, blue eyes, <laughs> wielding the rock on which the church was built, and we'll see who 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 can handle this better. So, Judas and Peter both failed, but. We know that they weren't planning on failing. Mm. They were very adamant that they were not going to fail, at least one of them. Why don't we go through a time maybe that you were completely unprepared for something, and and let's see what that looks like. The time that comes to mind is always when I moved into my apartment senior year of college. So I, li- I went to Franciscan University, go Barons, for any of you guys who don't know. <laughs> and we I lived in the dorms for the first three years. It was great. But at the end of the at senior year, you have the option of moving into what's called the CC Heights, which is on campus apartments, which is kind of like the best of both worlds. You have the on cap on campus community while still having like your own individual space. And it was called a CC Heights. Uh, the problem was, is the Heights were actually like the worst buildings ever. The whole thing is falling <laughs> apart. But it was great. It was your own space. You know, you could have different sizes. There was, you know, a kitchen, a living room space and then a certain number of rooms, depending on how many people lived in the height. When I showed up there, I thought I was, you know, super prepared for it. Quickly found out that I was not. By the end of the year, the whole height was broken. I think you could point to anything and say, that doesn't work the way it should. Our shower didn't work the way it should. The handlebar, the handle handrail on the way to the stairs broke. Uh, so, like, you'd have to, like, crawl up the stairs. <laughs> and um, our door, the the screen door, not the actual front door, but, like, the, the heavy-duty screen door also broke, which was interesting because something about – so, I live with this group of guys – when we studied abroad in Austria together in the last two months of our time in Austria, we didn't have a door and it was fine because we lived in the top floor of the, like the very, very top floor in the very back corner. So no one actually ever walked by our dorm unless they were coming to our room. Like two months left of the semester, one of my buddies, his name is actually also Eddie. He went to open the door and it just like snapped off the hinges and fell onto the ground. And we're like, what, what happened is real. Were you there to see that? Yeah, I was. We were sitting okay, in the so room. It's not just a story no, he told you. Well, I mean, it's possible that he, you know, Tommy Boyd the situation where he <laughs> broke it a long time earlier, and uh-huh. or somebody else broke it earlier and just kind of put it back a little bit, uh-huh. and he pulled it off. And uh, but so we had a real aversion to doors because senior year, the last two months of the year, we lost our screen door because the stopper broke, like the that. You know, you know, like those stoppers that had the prevent doors from slamming closed, mm. it like broke. And so it gets really windy up where it was. And so the wind came in and it would just kind of like bang the door around because nothing was it was just loose on the hinges. And one day we came back from school from class and it was broken. It was just had just fallen off, it was just laying <laughs> on the ground. Uh, so 
we were not big on doors. But anyway, the, the Heights were not the not the best living situation, but the company was great and the community was great. But I got there, you know, senior year, wide eye innocent. I was the first to arrive out of the four guys that I lived with. Well, three other guys that I lived with. I had gone shopping with my dad. He was dropping me off for college that year. And I, you know, we went to Walmart and got, you know, the basic college groceries, AKA like cereal and top ramen and soda and all of that. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. He's like, you need anything else? I was like, no, I don't think I need, I'm just, you know, excited to live waiting for my other people to come in. So I'm sitting there all by myself. We don't really have any furniture yet. Um, there's like the, they have like their own little chairs, but they're super uncomfortable. And so I was just sitting in one of those, you know, trying to think about what to do. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some of the cereal that I bought. So I went to the cabinet, got the cereal out, went to the fridge, got the milk out, uh, and then like opened up the cereal and then w- reached up to like the cabinet again to like pull out a bowl. And as I like it dawned on me, as I was opening the cabinet door, I was like, I have no bowl. There is no bowl <laughs> in this cabinet. And I opened the cabinet and it's just empty. There's nothing in it. I didn't bring any silverware and I didn't bring any dishes. Um, and I was like, well, guess I'm not going to eat cereal then. Um, eat out of the box. Yeah. Just pour the milk right into the cardboard box. That's how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and then a couple, you know, a little while later I spilt something. I think it was water or soda or something all over the floor. And I was like, Oh, I got to clean that up. So I went back to the kitchen. I was like, there's no paper towels here. I have, I have nothing to clean this up with. I have my one bath towel and that's it. And <laughs> so I ended up like running down to the student union to pick up a bunch of napkins and bring them back up. I was like, this is, I was like, I really don't have anything. Um, a little while later, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Started to walk up the stairs, immediately came back downstairs. I was like, there's no toilet paper in that bathroom. There's no reason for me to even walk up the stairs right now. Moral of the story being, I thought I was prepared for something, and I quickly found out that I was not. I was not prepared to live on my own. I was not prepared to uh, have all the supplies that I needed. You don't even think about that. You don't think about, like, you know, in your house right now, there's toothpicks somewhere, but like you never think that I should go buy toothpicks. Yeah, correct. Um, it just magically appears. Yeah, they're just always there. Yep. Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> yeah. So definitely unprepared. Uh, Gerard, do you have anything you want to add when you felt prepared? Uh, when I felt unprepared for something. Or when you felt prepared and then found out you were not prepared. Oh, when I felt prepared and found out I wasn't prepared. It would probably be in kind of the same situation uh, when I moved to Portland and I remember loading my entire life in my car. And when I got to my apartment, unloading that entire life and realizing that that entire life I had in my car was not enough. Yeah. That there was a bunch of other things from an ironing board to like dishes again to I think one thing one thing I that like was like a big shock to me is that like when your toilet gets clogged and you realize you don't have a plunger. I think that was yeah. that was like a big whoa moment for me where I was I clogged the toilet and it was backed up and I was like how do I fix this a plunger wait I don't have a plunger have I ever owned a plunger in my life <laughs> no there's like something that can fix this that I don't have um, I didn't have a toolbox which was like yeah. big like I went to IKEA and yeah granted I- IKEA provides most of the tools but realizing that I don't have a toolbox to build things <laughs> it's like oh it's just not in my dad's you know, little shed that I can just pull things out of. Uh-huh. Um, I think there's like a lot of moments uh, where where you get yourself into things thinking you have it all together, but you really don't. So definitely could relate to Eddie's story of just mm-hmm. moving and growing and realizing there's you don't have it all together. Yeah. So has that changed the way that you guys approach things going forward? 
No. Do you just never feel prepared now because you're always just worried that Listen, this life, is a trap? Life is like jazz. You know, you never know. You just gotta, you just gotta go with the, go with the flow. Come with yeah. the whatever notes I like to come live, in. Live in the spontaneous moments. You know, yeah. I'm a live in the moment person. See, the, so. the 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 Eagle Scout motto is always be prepared. The Sinner's Take model is always be unprepared <laughs> because you're never going to be able to prepare for everything. So you might as well prepare for nothing. And That's it, good. And being unprepared, you also begin to surprise yourself of your ability <laughs> to be prepared. Life is more fun if thought of as a surprise party rather than a scavenger hunt. <laughs> Take that, Eagle Scouts. <laughs> Take that. Well, as fun as this is, how do we how do we transition this to our faith? What does this look like in respect to Judas and Peter? Good question. Yeah. Glad you asked. Oh, yeah. Thought you'd never ask. Bet you were unprepared for that one. <laughs> Judas and Peter, I mean, you could even imagine it. They were pretty much as prepared as they possibly could have been for the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, you could say Jesus told them several times, the, the Son of Man must be handed over, suffer, and die, and be raised on the third day. Ah, he was kidding he about was, that. And they're, they're, they're like, oh, what do you think that means? <laughs> what do you think that means? It means the Son of Man must be handed over and suffer and die and be raised on the third day. Uh, they walked with Jesus for three years. You could even imagine it as like the best retreat ever, just a three-year retreat of seeing miracles, seeing conversion, um, learning everything from Jesus, how to from every how to interact with people, how to pray, how to pray. They were as prepared as they pretty much could have been for being disciples after Jesus uh, left. But as we know, it didn't always go that well for them. It, they'd had, they had a rough go of it at the beginning of it. You know, they both kind of failed their first, not kind of, they definitely failed their first test. You know, Judas betraying Jesus and Peter denying him three times in the, in the temple courtyard. Yeah, and it, it's crazy because Jesus, you know, calls these two guys out of the lives they were living, knowing as God, as a son of man, that they were going to betray him. And the crazy part is, is that Jesus calls his shots with both of them. He literally looks at Peter, all of Peter's glory and stubbornness, and Peter saying, I'll never betray you. I'll never leave you, Lord. I'm going to be at your side till the end. And he looks at Peter and he's like, nope, you're not <laughs> going to do that because this is what you're going to do. And it's going to happen exactly like this. And what do you know? It exactly happens like that because he's Jesus and he's God. Uh, yeah, Peter, the, the patron saint of one-liners and mic drops, yes. <laughs> who always has a thing to say, always has some, always has a, a quick word, wants to throw his opinion in. He chops off a guy's ear when they try to take yeah, Jesus he, away, which, side note, terrible aim. How do yeah. you just chop off an ear? How do you or, miss the entire head? great <laughs> aim because he was going for the yeah. ear. <laughs> I'm going to go with, like, he, not only did he only hit the ear, like he didn't even hit the shoulder underneath the ear. Yeah. He only hits the ear. Which means he swung wide. Yeah. Swung wide. Or swung up. An upward swing. Like a golf uppercut. swing. <laughs> uppercut with a little with a little knife. Good job, Peter. Yeah. You Good could job. you could give somebody a sword and say, swing ten times, try and cut off somebody just cut off somebody's ear. Attempting to, and they would not be able to. You're gonna have a hard time finding ten volunteers for the <laughs> ear part. Yeah. Well, Jesus is gonna heal it anyway. Uh, Anyways. With a swipe of his hand, healed. But it's, it's, it's interesting because Judas, again, Jesus looks at Judas, or he doesn't look at him, but he says it like, elephant in the room, one of you guys is going to betray me. Guess what? Yeah. It's you, Judas. And Judas doesn't say anything. He just runs out of, of the room during the Last Supper. So we, we kind of get this argument of, here's Peter, who Jesus says, you're going to betray me. 
Peter defends himself, saying, I won't betray you, ends up doing it. And here's Judas, who Jesus says, Judas, you're going to betray me. Judas doesn't really say anything. And he says, sure, uh, no, he, surely, he says, surely, Lord, it's not I. Yeah. And, but that's like, I read that with a lot of sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you, you going to put the word surely in the Bible <laughs> unless it's going to be sarcastic? Yeah. But even right after he says it, he kind of just, he, he leaves because he understands that oh, I am, it's me, 30 pieces of silver, here I come. Um, so you, you kind of get the sense of J- Jesus knew these two men. He knew who they were. He knew when he called them that they would betray him. Uh, yet they took completely separate paths um, when they were caught in their wrong and then their wrongdoing. Yeah, and I think there's always kind of a tension between people will say, oh, well, Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter just denied him and one is worse than the other. And maybe, probably, betraying, like actually betraying somebody and handing him over to death is worse than denying someone. But if you've ever been hurt by someone who you care about, it all feels about the same. And... I think it, we do an injustice to scripture to undercut what Peter did um, by saying like, Oh, he just like, he just denied him. Well, it's to say, it's really the same thing. You're, you're betraying and denying our Lord. And it's hard. I mean, I, we get to see the unraveling of Judas and we also get to see Peter's just his guilt to, I mean, that's when, we, you know, we just had good Friday and, you know, we watch the passion every good Friday. And that the part where Peter's denial of Jesus in the temple is, one of the surefire times I will cry when I watch mm-hmm. the passion it's because we've all been there. You know, it's, it's a very, it's a very, 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 <laughs> it's a good, good. It just hits home for a lot of people. So with respect to being prepared and feeling prepared for something, I think that it's my sense that anytime I've seen a master apprentice relationship or mentee, mentor-mentee relationship, the master always leaves before the apprentice is ready, whether it's by choice or usually otherwise. You know, you've got Yoda and Luke, you've got Frodo and Gandalf, you've got maybe like at the end of Spider-Verse when all the Spider-Men are leaving and you have to take that leap of faith of you just got to do it or something like Happy Gilmore, you know, whatever it is. I think it's a, a common storytelling, I don't even want to use the word trope, but Uh, because I think it's true to life, just that at a certain point, no matter how prepared the master wants the apprentice to be, I think to complete the preparation or really just to find out where they are, they need to leave and be tested. The the apprentice needs to be tested to see where they are and they can't be totally prepared. In my own life, uh, I remember, so I was gone from the church for a while and I came back thanks to some of the guys here at this table and I ended up moving after i finished college i moved to germany to try and play soccer over there that's a topic for another time but the point being i was here and as i had re-found my faith it was in the context of i live a quarter mile from my parish i have a dozen friends who go to that parish who were really guiding my faith and then it became i'm on the other side of the world with no one i know and a language i only kind of speak and now I have to figure out what my relationship with God is outside of the context of those people who were teaching me. And it did wonders for my faith because it had to be mine. And at a certain point, I had to get to that uncomfortable position of not having people guide me. And not that there shouldn't be anyone helping, but at a certain point, I don't think I was going to grow any further without being exposed in that way 
Yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side of that too, is the damage that can be done if the mentor doesn't leave. How many times in other stories where like the, the dad figure or the boss figure, you can even go to the office where uh, Michael refused to give, doesn't want to give Jim leash to run with because he's and Jim calls him out and he says, he says, uh, I may not be as good as a salesman as you, but I will never know if I don't get the opportunity to try. Where if the mentor just is overbearing and continue like, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not ready, and they don't get a chance to make their own failures, they will never actually be ready. So there's only, yeah, like you said, there's only a certain amount of pre- preparation that you can do before that you just have to give them the opportunity to experience things. At some point, it is sink or swim, and... Uh, to use less delicate words, baptism by fire. Uh, yeah. You just kind of have to be tried. And not that that's why Jesus was leaving Judas and Peter, but I do think it fits in here where we got to see, you know, really where they were and beyond just whether they failed or not, but how they responded to it. And it's important to understand that they did, they both failed. There's no way going around it. Peter and Judas both failed their first test. You know, we talk about baptism by fire or sink or swim. They got thrown in the deep end and they both sunk. We can't take that away. But there is a reason why we remember Peter as St. Peter and we don't remember Judas as St. Judas. And I think it has to be because of the uh, the way that they understood mercy. They understood the mercy of God. Peter got it. Peter understood God's love. He understood the whole message of the gospel. And Judas, even after three years, it must have just gone over his head. You know, for whatever reason, we don't really know his reasoning why he sold Jesus out. We don't understand. We weren't there. We don't get to be in the mindset of how Judas was interpreting everything. But it sounds like it's just there must have been some key misunderstandings where Jesus said things and they went either went over his head or he didn't understand them because he didn't get the fact that Jesus came to die for sinners. And Peter did. And so we remember Peter turned that that failure into a conversion moment where he inspired him it inspired him to go on to be a great saint. And Judas couldn't handle the guilt. He couldn't handle the shame. He let darkness completely envelop his life for doing something wrong. If we did that in our own life, imagine how screwed we'd all be if every time we sin, we just we just completely fell into darkness. And like I said, it's a pretty big sin to completely betray the Savior and hand him over. But it's not a whole lot different than the sins that we do every day because we none of us actually have that opportunity to yeah. <laughs> to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver but we do sell Jesus out for other for popularity for um for a job for money pleasure whatever it might be and so it's really not that different like we we get so caught up on on Judas's sin but he, what he did is not very different than what we do on a regular daily basis and if we let that darkness completely take over our whole life we would probably end up similar to we we devolve into insanity and shame and guilt and um, depression. But Peter picked himself up, reached out, grabbed the hand of God, and let him let that mercy into into his whole life. Um, and I would say like the real denial of Judas, more so than his denial and his betrayal of Jesus, he denied God's love. He denied the gospel message. He denied what Jesus wanted to give to him. And we see all the time in Scripture. Well, not all the time. We see several times in scripture where Judas it says that, you know, Judas went to the desert and hanged himself. And when we're like reading that in scripture, especially in the time of the Easter season, we're like, we kind of get that feeling. It's like, ah, oh, it's a fitting end. Like Judas betrayed Jesus and he, he killed himself. And it seems like it's almost like a sigh of relief, which is like obviously so sad because we don't realize that the fact that Judas killed himself completely shattered the heart of God. 
it would have it did break Jesus's heart to find out that Judas couldn't handle the mercy because Peter, I mean, Jesus loved Judas. He loved him dearly. And the idea that somebody like didn't understand what he wanted from him would have broken his heart. The fact that Jesus is dying on the cross, going through his passion for where in which he is going through it for the sin that Judas did at the same time, Judas is, is hanging himself because of it. Like just that fundamental misunderstanding that Jesus is like, I am laying down my life, Judas, for you right now to forgive you for the sin that you just committed. And Judas doesn't understand and he misses it and he ends up dead because of it. And that's why we don't understand St. Judas. But you could imagine a world like if there's if there's ever a faith, if there's ever a like a way for someone who has done something like that to turn themselves around and become a saint. That's it. Paul, Paul was a murderer. Like he actually killed people and he was able to turn around, turn his life around. God, could you imagine what an amazing St. Judas would have been if he had, if he had understood the mercy of God and came back and, and witnessed to what Jesus did. Which and I also think that, goes just to butt yeah. in here. No one is too far gone. Yeah, like if yes. Christ had that much love for the, very person who betrayed him none of us are too far gone yeah and i think a lot of the guilt that we a lot of our our shame is we put it on ourselves of, of this guilt and we see it even with peter when peter was you know when he denied jesus the first thing that peter did post-death before resurrection and where, where jesus finds him not the first thing but maybe where he finds him first is on a boat fishing and I think that's so funny that Peter was on the best retreat of his life for three years. Jesus called him out of this, this life of a fisherman out of a boat to live this like amazing, abundant, full life. But the moment that Peter really screws up for the first time, he goes back to the guilt and to the shame to a boat and he's stuck on this boat uh, and he's sad. And I, I could just see him being downtrodden like, dude, I screwed this up again. And I knew, and Jesus told me, like, Jesus told me this would happen. And here I am fishing again, living this boring life, this horrible life. And it's funny because he brought other apostles with him on the boat. <laughs> it wasn't just him on the boat, but it was, like, he brought his friends with him who also followed Jesus. And there's Jesus on the shore saying, you know, get out. Like, I love you. You're forgiven. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter realizes the correlation of the betrayal and the love and weeps again. <laughs> you know, he sobs yeah. again. So yeah, they definitely handled their their shame in two different ways. You know, Peter went into a more of a I'm gonna I, I need to go back to my old life because I'm I i was not cut out for this new life. And Judas was just like, I messed up and I'm done. I I'm too far gone. I'm away from the love of God. And it's interesting to see how they both handled this situation of mm-hmm. denial and betrayal. Yeah, and I I love this, you know, that story of where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The several times and the three times there's theologians have many different reasons for why he asked three times. One of, if you read it in the Greek, he changes the word love from the first two times. It's agape love. The last time it's filial love. So it's Jesus is saying like, do you love me? Like I love you. And he's like, I do He's like, I don't think you can do that. Do you love me? Like I love you. He's like, I do. And he says, do you love me in filial way in, in that brotherly sense? And he's like, I do. Um, but I think the most beautiful way to, to look at that is it's just Jesus is offering him a, an olive branch saying 
here are three times that you can say you love me again because you denied me three times. It's the idea like here's three concrete ways that you can undo what you did. And I think that that's very, very beautiful. But that's, that's the idea is the one thing that God can't handle. The one denial that Jesus can't handle is the denial of his mercy. There's nothing he can do for us at that point. Mm -hmm. If we sin and we don't understand the mercy of God, we don't understand, we don't run to it in forgiveness and use that our sins in our darkness that Jesus takes away from us as a reason to be better. There's, he can't help us. That mercy is, is not that he doesn't want to give it to us, but if we, if we don't believe in it and if we don't run to it and we don't have, we don't place our trust in it, he, he can't do anything with it. So that's like the one, you could say the one denial, like I said, the true denial of Judas is that he denied Jesus's love more than anything else. It's not that he betrayed him. The biggest sin that Judas ever had, the biggest thing that held him back from his relationship with God was he denied the love of God. And I think that that is something we all can do with a little bit of reflecting on, you know, a lot of times the hardest battles that we have to fight in life is not with our sin. It's not with our doubts, our shames. It's with the fact that God loves us. And he makes it very obvious for us on the cross, but we struggle with that. And I know that's not groundbreaking theology. That's not groundbreaking news, but we really, really struggle to understand that God loves us. That's the whole point of the gospel is that God's love leads to repentance and that repentance leads to sainthood. If we don't understand that mercy first, that love first, we'll never be able to repent and we'll never be able to get out of our sin and get out of our darkness and so I think that that's the main lesson to take away from Judas and Peter is that Peter got it after three years. He understood to some extent and, and it grew and Judas just thought he was too far gone. So what this makes me think of is how do we respond when we are in Jesus's position here? So when we are betrayed or when we are denied, when they come back to us apologetic, we should want for their end not to be like that of Judas, but to be like that of Peter. So when they come back apologetic, we need to let them back into our love and not and value the relationship over that uh, comeuppance that we may want for them. There may be a part of us that, like you were saying, right? It is a fitting in for Judas. We may want, like, you hurt me, I want you to be hurt. But that's not what we're called to do. And we need to, as Jesus did, when someone comes back to us for mercy and for love, make that available. Which brings to mind Act 4, Scene 1 of Merchant of Venice. I'm pretending like I have to think about it because it's in my head and I don't see it right in front of me right now. <laughs> um, which is a very popular monologue written by Billy Shakes himself. Playing the bard card. <laughs> Playing the bard card. Uh, so just to go over, not the whole thing because it's long and maybe worth doing separately, but there's a chunk of lines towards the end, and it says, Though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. And this is, I think, just beautiful language for things that we may already know or have heard in a more biblical context, but it's so beautifully put here, and... It's just to say that if we are rightly oriented with the gravity of our sins and we're understanding where we stand with God, we should not ask for justice because we really don't deserve very much. We're, we're not that great. So we should be praying for mercy. 
and mercy isn't something that we can deserve. I think by definition, you have to not deserve it. And justice is to say that you are getting what you deserve. And in the same way, kind of continuing off of that, right? So the same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. We forgive so as to be forgiven. Absolutely. I mean, that that's Christianity 101 is forgive so that you may have forgiveness. And again, not groundbreaking theology, but it's, I think we could all do with a little bit of self-evaluation on that where I'm not saying that we're like, you know, it's, it's really easy when we talk about these things yeah. with the Judas to be like, mm. well, I don't want anybody to go and kill themselves. So therefore I don't have that problem is obviously not the case. A lot of times it's the little things it's, you want them, you know, somebody hurts you. So you want them to have a lower grade than you on the test or you want in sports all the time is that person was mean to me. So I kind of want them to get hurt so they can't play or <laughs> whatever it is. And it sneaks into our thought process a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. But living that life of forgiveness completely is very difficult. Well, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, we want you to know that you are never too far gone, that the gospel is right in front of you in tangible examples in the people who love you and the people who care for you, and more importantly, in the cross and what Jesus did for us. So live the joy of the gospel and let it into every part of your heart. Do that. And uh, this has been an amazing episode to record. And you might be like a St. Peter. <laughs> and you may be like St. Peter. So, Amen. Thank you for listening to this interview. Mom of us here at Ascension Presents. My <laughs> name is Father Mike Schmitz. God bless. I'm Bobby Angel. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Franciscan Friars of the <laughs> I'm Father Josh Johnson. <laughs>